Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by my partner. Hey, holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. The Back Tribble. And here on the fourth week of Ootober. You like that, right? We are going to wrap up our conversation around our yearly horror slash supernatural film showcase with 2002's The Blackening. 2022. 2022's The Black. I was so I was so happy that I hit Bootober. I forgot about the rest of it. I forgot about the rest of it. They can't kill all of us first. But before we get to The Blackening, what's going on, Lynn? You want to know what's going on, Vince? Yes. What are you doing? What is happening right now? I got flowers. You yet? Yeah, yes, you do. I got flowers. You man. do. Look, I got I got roses. Oh, roses for Lynn. Ooh. Very nice. Would you Would you like to share with the class any more details about the roses, or just that you got them? Well, I think somebody either took it very seriously when. I was called honey last week on right, the show. Right, right, right. Got threatened. <laughs> Someone felt threatened. Yes. Yeah, so a, a, a lovely Nakia came and gave me flowers. Gave you some flowers. Yes. And said, thank you for doing such Very a fantastic nice. job on the show. Very nice. So, a a rose you. for Lynn. Well, thank you. Twelve roses. Twelve roses for Lynn. Twelve roses. Right. Not, Twelve. not to be confused with a rose for Emily, which is my favorite. William Faulkner short story. You just take all the fun and joy out of it. I'm sorry. I said a rose for Lynn, you know. I'm sorry. Well, that's wonderful, though. Jesus, man. You just kill romance. (laughs) Shit. Nothing says love like William Faulkner short stories. Anywho. (laughs) How are you doing, Vincent? I am fine. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Happy to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were telling me uh about a recent super purchase that you made at a comic book shop in Washington, DC. <laughs> I I I did. We we wanna talk about that? We, we I mean got, just real quick. We got we, that kind of time? Oh, just a little I, real I, quick. I, I, I bought a hardback of Godzilla Half Century War by James Stoku, who's an artist whose work I greatly enjoy and what I told Lynn is that I got the hardback collection of look y'all for the record Lynn brought I like let's be clear no one is going to care anything about what I'm saying but Lynn but no that's not true we're sharing that's not I true I like the hardback cuz it's a little bigger so that I could focus on the art more well here's the thing though here's the thing if you will notice a lot of kaiju or large monster movies. Um, mm-hmm. Kaiju are like like the Japanese monsters, ladies and right, gentlemen, right, right. such as your Godzilla, Mothra, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like those. Movies such as those, they get lumped into horror. So this in. is still kind of on a horror tip. So that's why I tip. wanted to talk about okay. it. Okay, all right. But I was keeping it in theme. You're keeping it in theme. And we do have missionaries out there who like Scheme Richards, yeah. who's a huge Godzilla oh, well, and Kaiju well, fan. I, well, I, well, I, yeah, I didn't tell Scheme anything. Scheme learned nothing from what I just said. Okay, all right, because yeah, he, he already knew, knows. Yeah, right, but yeah. he would love to hear, like, he oh, yeah, they mentioned it in my book. You know what I'm saying? Okay, all right. Oh. Well, yes, that's what that's what happened. 
And then I recommended it to Lynn. Because Lynn and I like comics. And we like, and we do like the the huge monster. Right, right. Big, the guide you to big monsters. Yes. All yes. right. Because you, re- you recommended another uh, book to me. Wow, we're really doing this, huh? We, because we're still in horror. We're still, you've got that kind of time tonight, huh? All right, yeah, go ahead. You recommended another book to me. I did. Called Kaiju Max. Kaiju Max. Now, Kaiju, like I told you, are the large monsters, ladies and gentlemen. Kaiju Max is if you would uh, imagine all of these crazy Japanese monsters in Oz. In Oz. Oz, the, the television show about prison. So Kaiju Max is like a super max. If, if you know, the, the, the conceit is that this is a world where the giant monsters are treated like criminals. Yes. And they're all rounded up in this super max prison. Right. And uh, akin to every prison, there are, you know... Prison guards. Prison guards who are kind of like Ultraman. Right, right. They they use the Ultraman technology to grow big. Right. And there are prison kaiju gangs. Mm -hmm. So there's Nazi kaiju. Well, not Nazi. Muslim kaiju. No, that's that's not it. Christian kaiju. So you were so busy. I didn't say that at all. White supremacist kaiju. There's not any of that in this at all. you, it's like Oz. That's, that, I did, that's no, it's Oz. It's just in, like Oz. There are different factions. So you've got there like are the gay kaiju. It really sounds fantastic. I can't wait to read this book, Kaiju Max. Well, I can't wait for you to read it as well. <laughs> and I, you'll have to report back to class. <laughs> Tell us what you think. I will. All right. I will. All right. All right. <laughs> Hey, see, George Cremona is in the chat. A shout out to everybody out there in the chat as we are streaming live from Young Junk, Philadelphia's premier video podcast palace mm-hmm. here in Maniunk. Mm-hmm. Go to videocontentfactory.com, book your time in one of their fabulous studios. Shout out to each and every one of you out there as we're streaming live to YouTube and to Facebook. Hello, missionaries. Good evening, one and all. George Cremona is in the chat. Yes. George, who's not usually with us throughout the whole show, so it's always like the always you know, good to see George. He's asking for your thoughts, Vincent, on JLA versus, versus Godzilla, Godzilla, which is another kaiju comic it, book. It is that is out there right now. Right, I actually haven't read it yet, so I, my thoughts are: I looked, I saw the preview. The art looked fun. The art looks fun. The art looks fun. It yeah. looks like yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't need it. Right, 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 right. But right. you know. Right, right, right. It's whatever. And Robert Monroe Jr., just did uh, uh, our last little touch in this. Last, last little, little touch, kaiju touch kaiju, here. Wants kaiju to know, touch. Vince. Yes. Did you get the Criterion yes. Gojira collection? Right, right, right. Well, longtime listeners know maybe it's probably been two years now. At least. I got yeah. it for my birthday. Yeah. So I do. I did get it. And it's wonderful. Now, how often do you pull it out and rewatch it? Oh no! I've rewatched it. I, I watched it all the way through. Okay. You know, I kind of flip because you know it's it's a beautiful collection. It's got like these you know books and booklets in. But I do flip through. I just flipped through it a couple of days ago because um you know since we're here you know I'm so looking forward to the the Monarch show mm-hmm. that's about to come out on Apple TV, right. which is is the the show looks like it's focused on the organization. In the 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 current Godzilla films, yes, in the current Godzilla King Kong, right, films. King Kong films. So, right, 
This oh, is, and I think the series is actually going to be like kind of like a connective tissue and yeah, and yeah. lead into the mm-hmm. the sequel to right. Godzilla, right? Kong too, right? Right, and and I have not been disappointed by any science fiction on Apple TV. So, all right, all right, all right. This is Kaiju Talk. This has been Kaiju Talk. It's been Kaiju in Bootober. In Bootober. So we're covering all forms of all, horror. All forms of horror. I was on brand. <laughs> I knew what I was doing. My brain has a level of elasticity that I'll allow. <laughs> well, bless you. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into our regular features here on the show, starting with emails. All right. Which means that we have missives from the missionaries. From the missionaries. So what else is going on, Lynn? We have emails, Vincent. Ooh, missives from the missionaries. Got an email from Eric Bray. Hey, what's up, Eric? Actually, been sitting on this one, and they got lost in the uh, shuffle for for a little bit. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> so, so while listening to the Paris is Burning episode of the okay. Michelle Mission, or as I finally come to think of it, the Michael Sykes mailbag guest starring Vince and Len. Ooh. Uh, I was overcome with nostalgia by your top five segment featuring hip hop moments of September of 1990. Okay. As someone who has uh, kept road to the riches and heavy rotation since it debuted, I was thrilled to hear Cool G Rap and DJ Polo made the Source's number one rap single that month. Like Len, I never knew they made it that big. Mm-hmm. Along with your shout out to Philly's own Three Times Dope, the list transported me back to those innocent days of my youth when I rushed home from school to tune into Yo MTV Raps. Speaking of the early 90s music scene, I was hoping you could clarify a point concerning hip hop slash movie duo Kid and play for me. Okay. I've often heard people, Vince included, vaguely diss the latter artist, but have never heard why. Kid himself even teases his partner, recounting in interviews how in the wake of House Party's success, a carload of people passing by would shout, play, you ain't shit. For all I know. He deserves it, but I'm just wondering what the source of the hate is. I don't remember his rap or dance skills being so much worse than kids, and he was usually saddled with the thankless role of playing second fiddle to Kid in most of their movies. I'm sorry if this has already been explained, but I have to ask, why no love for play? Why no love for play? Before you answer that. Speaking of House Party, I'm looking forward to your review of the recent remake <laughs> with similar reboots like Space Jam, A New Legacy, and Who Lose White Man Can't Jump. What are your thoughts on this trend? Are they adding anything to the modern and filled pantheon or shameless cash grabs? Do they provide opportunities for younger talent by capitalizing on the success of their predecessors? Or are they symptomatic of a creative drought? in a movie landscape ruled by trusted franchises? Or does it just depend on the reboot? Your fan, Eric Bray from Savannah, Georgia. All right. Well, for the record, I think Lynn was the one who had the fatwa 
against play, not me. So, Lynn, I'll let you handle what is the the play hate because that's that's your man. He has no talent. Um, I think he is a. a a bit of a he's turned into a bit of a hip hop historian. Right. So I will give him his bona fides for that. Mm-hmm. And he's always one who recognizes uh, Philadelphia's place in hip hop history, more specifically Lady B's place mm-hmm. in hip hop history. But as far as a rapper, um, I thought that he had little to no talent. I think the charisma that he purportedly exudes came off a little like slimy feeling to Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. Um, especially up against kid to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he drank his own Kool-Aid because of the success of his movies and thought maybe he was a bigger star and than he actually was. Um, so that's my thing about play the rapper. Right. I'm not going to do it. I don't know to do. Right. Right. But that's my thing about playing. I think that's, I think that's what people have read off, off of him over the years. Sure. Sure. I mean, talent wise, I think the, the belief, because, you know, I, now that I think about it, I never actually, I don't know how much I've actually researched it, but I think the, the, a common belief among hip hop fans at the time was that that whole collective Herbie love bug collective used ghost writers. Well, and, and one of the main ones was Herb himself, because I think he did a lot of the writing for, right. for salt and pepper. Right. right. So, so, right. So that early salt and pepper, uh, kid and play, mm-hmm. because how many albums did kid and play have? Maybe like, four. Did they have four. Did they have three? That's what I'm saying. Maybe four. Right, right. So it was this. It was very much a common belief at the time that they had ghostwriters. You got to think. That, excuse me. But you got to think that they, that they at least had four because they probably had at least soundtracks for all their movies. Sure. So like, right. right yeah, man. Yeah. Regardless, no one has ever claimed kid or play as lyricists. Right. And then even at the time when 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 MCs really had more of a space as entertainers, mm-hmm. where where like everyone would would foreground like Big Daddy Kane. Big Daddy Kane's a perfect example where everyone knew Big Daddy Kane was a killer MC. Yes, but Big Daddy Kane also would put on a great show. He was with Snoop and Scrap, and yep. he would. So you know yep. there was space. To be a dancer as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Kid always had that lane. Mm-hmm. Like Kid was a dancer. And, and even when you look at videos, and Play used to say this, that he basically was trying to play catch up with Kid dance-wise. Yes. So, you know, he wasn't really respected as an MC. He wasn't really respected as a dancer. Mm-hmm. In his defense, I do think the, the Play as the slimy guy was always part of his persona. Like all, all the way back to the um, salt and pepper video for tramp mm-hmm. where he played that dude. So, you know, like as, as you said, we don't know that guy. Like all we know about play is his public persona and his persona was always like, he never really struck you 
as far as that persona as somebody that like you wanted to leave your female friend around. Exactly. Like, you know, if you put your drink down around him, you had to go get a new drink. That's right. You know, that guy. So, but that was always your, (laughs) like, like, Lynn, and I've said this to Lynn's face, Lynn has weird <laughs> beefs. Like, he has the most random beefs. Yeah, you know the dude who played the second Lionel? I can't stand him. And he knows why. It's like, how you got a beef with the dude who played the second Lionel? Well, because he had no talent. See, see, see. <laughs> he was see? Not good. I knew he had an opinion not on good. second Lionel. I <laughs> could. It was horrible. Then they like brought back first Lionel and yeah, because they couldn't stand him. Because you could stand couldn't second stand Lionel, him. right? But um, and, and as far as as the reboots, I'm against them. I'm against them. I, I always feel like for the most part, for the most part. For the most, it, it, it's, it, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of a good exception. Well, it's not really a reboot because it really is more of a sequel. But I'm thinking of like uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Right. That's really more of a, and, a sequel. And it was kind of a secret sequel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more often than not, the reboot. you would pull the one exception. Yeah, but But to be fair, it's not a reboot. It's not a reboot. Although... It, you know, we're far enough out from it that mm-hmm. we can talk about it. I think they kept it secret that it wasn't a reboot. Yes, they did. Right. Like they, they did. really did play it like but it was play it up like right. it was gonna be. Right. Um well what about the, the Fresh Prince? You like the Fresh Prince? Oh, I do like the Fresh Prince. Well, you're killing me right now, Lynn. <laughs> if you pick a third one, I'm just gonna say <laughs> I was wrong. Can you go for a third one? I'm, and I'll just say I was just wrong. I can't think of another one that was successful because or like that I liked or that you liked right because um, I can't because I can't get Shaft and <laughs> and white men can't jump and house party out my head um hmm white men can't jump with Sonique Wells who we'll be talking about soon yeah very true yeah um yeah I can't think of I can't think of another one yeah off the top of my head all right. Um, that was good. Okay, then I can I can stand. Yeah, you can you can, I can stand. stand right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So so yeah. Boo them. Boo them. With, the, with, except for the exceptions. Except for the few which exceptions. Which pulled out very quickly. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Um, we have one more email. Okay. And it's Eric's favorite emailer. Yes, Michael Sykes. What's going on, Michael? This time, he is up to Adios Amigos. Adios Amigos. The Western starring Fred Williamson and Richard Pryor. Yes, it is. Hello, Len and Vincent. Happy Bootober. Happy Bootober to you as well. I'm listening to y'all podcast episode of 1975's Adios Amigo, and Mm -hmm. wow, what a horrible movie. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> it's a shame that the myth, the man, the legend, Richard Pryor couldn't save this movie. 90% of Richard Pryor movies I've seen, I've liked. Yes, that includes 1982, The Toy, in which I liked better than Adios Amigos. Okay. I think we all did. Okay. True. The Toy is better than Adios Amigos. Yeah. 
The toy does not wear well, though. Right. Well, that just tells you how bad Adios Amigos is. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, more so than anything else. I recently watched Fred Williamson's interview on Vlad TV, where mm-hmm. he said that Sammy Davis Jr. was supposed to play Richard Pryor's character, but due to being a low-budget movie, and Sammy Davis Jr. had a uh, 75-person entourage, <laughs> it was too much for the film. So it was a trade-off trading Sammy for Richard. Why? Sammy Davis Jr. 75 75 people people. in his entourage entourage. to go film a movie. (laughs) That makes absolutely no sense. Sammy Davis Jr. was never not Sammy Davis Jr. And that's his problem. Look. Then Fred said this about the movie. It became a big film, number one for the first week at the box office. I've never made a film that don't make big money. Every movie I play in is a big film. Watching the film and the interview, I wonder, was Fred snorting coke with Richard? I mean, really, him and Richard Pryor probably snorted so much coke during the making of Adios Amigos, you can build a seven-foot snowman out of it. This man was bragging about how the low-budget movies he wrote, produced, directed, like Adios Amigos, Mr. Mean, One Down, Two to Go, Black Cobra, Original Gangsters, and On the Edge. The way he was talking in the Vlad interview, you would think he wrote, produced, and directed The Color Purple, (laughs) Friday, Do the Right Thing, and Moonlight, Mm -hmm. and Vlad was just eating it up. To be fair, Vlad does the best thing that any interviewer can do when moments like that uh, occur. Just let him talk. Just let the man talk. Yeah. And you just you just let him talk and you just let him feed him, feed him breadcrumbs and let yeah. him just keep on eating them up. The last high highest grossing box office film that Fred Williamson was in was MASH from 1970. Don't get me wrong, I loved him in Black Caesar, Hell Up in Harlem, Hammer, and Bucktown, and respect him for uh, what he did for uh, African Americans on film and sports. Lennon Vincent, which one is better and why? Fred Williamson's Adios Amigos. Okay. Or Mario Van Peeples' Posse. Okay. Love your fan, Michael Sykes. Okay, you want to go? Oh, this is easy. I know it's easy. Uh, Posse. Yeah. I mean, despite Mario Van Peebles. Absolutely. um, It is a better made movie. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, it's got a bit of a better story, a little Mm -hmm. bit more of a charisma. It's got three better stories. Well, that's true. (laughs) It had like nine different plots. Uh, it's got a better, better, uh, a better camaraderie amongst its posse. Mm-hmm. It's got Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, I mean, come on, Adios Amigos. It literally looks like the home movies of the making of a movie. Yeah, it is that bad. Yeah, yeah. We, we not to re um re critique it, but but remember Adios Amigos. I, I think Fred Williamson's big miscalculation was that he could just let Richard Richard Pryor riff Mm -hmm. for an hour and a half. And, but there's no, you know, there's no structure there. And, and I, you you know, I I don't have in my head lining up where Richard was with his 
career, but he was still and, and, and with his, you know, very well publicized. Oh, addict, you uh, know, habits, drug addiction and mm-hmm. habits with when it was. But it seemed like this was a moment where he wasn't necessarily at his sharpest. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. And Fred Williamson also makes the miscalculation that I think a lot of big action heroes make in that they start believing that the character that they are reading on a script that was written for them. Right. That has kind of like some clever quips to come back. It's actually them. Right. And right. that they can riff right. in real time like sure. that. And they they can't. Yeah. And I think Fred Williamson always had, you know, just a huge ego. Yeah. Like, like, like I always think about how Fred Williamson to this day, he's, you know, he's like the Japanese soldiers on the Pacific Island who don't know that World War II was over. Like, if you talk to him, he's still fighting about the term black exploitation mm-hmm. and about the way, like, like I remember him interviews when both I'm going to get you sucker and black dynamite came out and he was very sort of angry yeah. about this mockery of this period, even though both of them and certainly Black Dynamite really just sort of lovingly mm-hmm. satirized this period. But Fred Williamson has always been like, you don't joke about Fred Williamson. I know. So he, he takes himself too seriously. He, uh, yes, I believe so. But yeah, I would also choose Posse. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, thank you for the emails, Eric right. and Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have thoughts that you would like to share on the Michael uh, Sykes portion of the show, you can email <laughs> us at michelmission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. Black Star Signature Podcast, Many Lumens, hosted by me, Maori Carmel Holmes, is back with all new episodes featuring groundbreaking artists, change makers, and cultural workers. Join us as we find meaning in the intersections of art, social change, and popular culture. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast or at manylumens.com. And now it's time for the top five. All right. Top five. Who's your top five? Top five, ladies and gentlemen, where I come up with a top five list and I read it off to Vincent and Vince gives us his scintillating commentary on it. Tonight, Vincent. Yes. Keeping in theme. Thematic. Tonight, we are going to be reviewing The Blackening. Yes, we are. Which is a horror comedy. Mm -hmm. But it is also an attempt to make a an all black horror parody yes as you if you will right mhm so it's and, and and not that there haven't been horror parodies done before mm-hmm. you know such as uh scary movie of course um but this is trying to to 
blacken that genre up. Yes. Okay. So keeping in theme, mm-hmm. tonight's top five are other movies that have been blackened or such as, should I call them the top five blackened classic movies? Okay. All right. Blackening of other movies. Yes. There you go. What we got. And we're going to start with number five. Number five. From 1974. Okay. The Black Connection. The Black Connection. A blackening Mm -hmm. of perhaps the French Connection. Okay. You tell me how close to get. Are you you familiar with the French Connection? I'm I'm familiar with the French Connection. I thought you were going to say, was I familiar with the Black Connection, which I'm not. Which is fine. Yeah, but I love the French Connection. You love the French Connection. I actually just rewatched the French Connection uh, last week. Nice. That was a good use of time. Uh, The Black Connection from 1974 um, features three members of the music group The Checkmates Limited (laughs) in acting roles. This thing's going to go off the rails immediately. Oh, it immediately goes off the rails. immediately going off the rails. Because the Black Connection has is also known by its more provocative title, mm-hmm. Run, Nigger, Run. <laughs> um, the alternative moniker gives a better sense of the storyline. <laughs> Or at least a confusing blur of narrative events oh, that pass for a storyline. Goodness gracious! Uh, <laughs> Is this a United Artists film? <laughs> I, 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 no, I, not United Arts. American International. I, I'm not. I don't believe it's American National. <laughs> I think it's like really hardcore right. indie. Right. Uh, um, the piece revolves into. It revolves into a melodrama concerning African American crook Miles Carter. Mm-hmm. Who have who's having some sort of trouble with white gangsters. As one does. Best guess is he's a pusher and they're his suppliers, but now he wants a bigger piece of the action, or else he's running a scheme on the gangsters and they get wise. Nevertheless, the black connection is so thoroughly terrible that parsing the details isn't worth the effort. Um only the funk tunes on the soundtrack by the checkmates. By the checkmates. From what I understand, three of their members are in the film. Yes, the, the only the tunes are passable, though your guess is as good as mine. Why the film contains a ballad with the lyric, "Would you like to buy my pretty balloon?" <laughs> is it a balloon of heroin? Don't know. There's some fighting, some sex, well, some tough talk. Mm-hmm. The best zinger is by a young woman when characterizing on an adversary's shortcomings. The trouble with her is she don't know a lady when she sees one, and I'm a motherfucking lady. Mm. Clearly. That right. is the black the connection. The black connection. We'll get to that eventually. Eventually, what I understand, we'll we're going to watch all of them. We're going to watch all well, of them. Well, there you go. That's number five, the black connection. Now, how do you feel that did in translating the story it does of not the French connection? At all. <laughs> they both have the word connection in them. And it sounds like there may be some drugs involved. <laughs> so you don't think that that, that pulled it off? I, I don't. I maybe don't. number four will Maybe work number better. four will. Number four from mm-hmm. 1973 mm-hmm. is Blackenstein. 
Blackenstein, our beloved Blackenstein. Also known as Black Frankenstein. <laughs> just, just in case Blackenstein was too confusing. You know, the Negro <laughs> is oftentimes thrown off by wordplay. So we will alternately name it Black Frankenstein so that the urban market will understand Yes. That it is a Frankenstein movie, but that the Frankenstein is black. That's very true. Okay. This film from 1973, directed by William Levy and starring John Hart, Ivory Stone, Andrea King, Roosevelt Jackson, and John DeSue. Which one is the stage name? Ivory Stone or Roosevelt, <laughs> Roosevelt Jackson? Jackson. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something about that. This movie is Loosely based <laughs> on Mary Shelley's Mary Shelley's eighteen eighteen novel Frankenstein. I cannot believe they said it's based on the novel and not even like not even the movie. Like they they're saying it's based on the novel. <laughs> Fantastic! At some point, he gets lost in Antarctica. It was released on August of 1973, and it was made in an attempt to cash in on the uh, American International Pictures success with the horror genre. However, Blackenstein fared poorly in comparison, with most reviews agreeing that the film was a totally inept mixture of the worst horror and black exploitation. That's 100% correct. Yes. We have not talked about it on this podcast, but we have talked about it on another podcast, so we're familiar. That's very true. Blackenstein is terrible. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that one didn't stick the landing. We can only go up from here. Maybe number three. Maybe number three. From 1977. 1977. All right, because this one is a black exploitation superhero film. Okay. Abar. Abar, the black Superman. The first black Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, J. Walter Smith. Mm-hmm. Upon moving into a bigoted neighborhood, the yeah, scientist father of, of a persecuted black family mm-hmm. gives a superpower elixir to a tough bodyguard <laughs> who then becomes a superpowered crime fighter. Yeah, yeah, A-bar. This film was the brainchild of James Smalley, a black pimp from Louisiana, mm-hmm. and Frank Packard, a white actor and screenwriter. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. was filmed partly in a working whorehouse. Yeah, yeah. Smalley ran out of money before the film was completed and had to sell the film to the owner of a film processing lab to settle his unpaid bills. It was originally titled Super Black when it yeah. was completed in 1975, but it was retitled to Abar the First Black Superman upon mm-hmm. its 1977 release. Mm-hmm. And the film was shot in uh, uh, black neighborhoods in and around Los Angeles without permits to do so. And at one point, actual motorcycle gang members who had been hired to play a black motorcycle gang surrounded the cars of the white police officers who had been called in to shut down the shooting. Mm -hmm. The officers chose to stay in their cars. That's one. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, have you seen that? Have you seen it? I've never seen this movie. It commits the worst crime of all of black exploitation movies in that it's actually a little dull. 
Really? Yeah. But the the story about the making of it, and I I haven't heard all those details. I heard the working whorehouse part, and I feel like I've heard the part about the gang. The gang. Yeah. The story around it sounds amazing, though. Yeah. See, the, like, the, I, like I kind of want a documentary about the making of Abar, the black, the first black Superman. I don't even know if I need a, a documentary. I need like a a a Dolomite. My name is Dolomite. Right. Movie, <laughs> like a like a dramatic reenactment, <laughs> reenactment yeah. of the making of yeah. of Abar, the first black yeah, Superman. Yeah, these three have, have not been good. No, okay, these three have not been good. Well, we've got two more. Got two more, and hope springs eternal. Number two. Number two. This one is from 1974. Right, right, right. And it's The Black Godfather. Written and directed by John Evans, starring Rod Perry, Don Chastain, Diane Summerfield, and Jimmy Weatherspoon. The plot is about J.J., yeah, a yeah. rising star in the black crime scene who mm-hmm. is in the process of consolidating his power over the neighborhood one of the only remaining obstacles is the white heroin cartel that is reluctant to abandon such a lucrative market. Tensions rise and an explosive confrontation is the result in The Black Godfather. Yeah, it's all right. Have you ever seen it? No. It's all right. Never seen it. It's all right. Speaking of, it seems like something that um not hell up in harlem i just forget the other 100 across 100 no not, no the other that hell up in harlem is a sequel to oh um just dropped it, it it's it, it, it to hell hell up in harlem hold, hold on hold on i'll tell you in a second I'll tell you in a second hell up. anyway it seems like a film fred williamson should have been in well yeah you know that and it's part of the reason that we talk about. You got it? Hell up in Harlem. I've got it here. Is to, to sequel to Black Caesar. I want to say Black Caesar. Right. Sure. Which is why we talk about Black Caesar instead of the Black Godfather. Right. Yeah. Right. So there you go. Yeah. So the Black Godfather, was, it, it, it missed its mark. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Now, number one. Number of the one. blackened classic the movies. The blackened classic mu- movies. And this one, I think we can agree, hits its mark maybe slightly off center. All right, and that would be? From 1972. 1972. American International Pictures. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Blackula. Of course. Starring William Marshall. Mm-hmm. The title role of in the title role of an 18th century African prince who was turned into a vampire by Count Dracula. That's right. And then in the year 17, in the year 1780, after Dracula refuses to help uh, suppress the slave trade. Mm-hmm. That's right. Black, Blackula was released to mixed reviews in the United States, but was one of the top grossing films of the year and was the first film to receive an award for best horror film at the Saturn Awards. Okay. Uh, and then was followed up by the sequel in 73, uh, Scream, Blackula, Scream. This is a movie that we actually were talking about just earlier today I on the know. radio. Yeah. My friend Tanya Pendleton. Yeah, shout out to Tanya. On uh, Word Word um, Radio. Uh, this is a movie that the story is good. Oh, yeah. Great, but it's good. Oh, yeah. And it's, oh. defi- it's definitely like a nice little original take, you know. It this- really is. Um, but it and William Marshall in the title role, fantastic, 
acting his butt off. Fantastic. Love William Marshall. The production values are what let down this movie. 100%. That's the only thing that lets down 100% this movie. 100% and that dumbass name. Yes. Yes. You wish they could have. Yes, we are big fans of Blackula and to risk going back into the comic talk again. I mentioned this. The uh, comic writer Rodney Barnes mm-hmm. has uh, written a um, graphic novel that's a direct sequel to Blackula. Because I think it's best if we all pretend Scream Blackula Scream never, never happened. And it is ridiculously good. Like, I was like, why in the world is Blackula so good? Like, there's no reason for this to be as good as it is. But that's because the bones are there mm-hmm. in the real Absolutely. story of the actual Yeah, Blackula is fantastic. Yeah. 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 In spite of. In spite of. And, and, and yeah. It's because of that. The production values. Yeah. It's because of that that I fear that as much as we love Blackula. Mm-hmm. Then 2023, if we try to invite people to go and rewatch and and watch Blackula, mm-hmm. the production values are such that I don't think they're they're really going to appreciate it. Yeah, because you can get lost in the, almost like the comedy of some of the yeah. stuff that is happening. Yeah, absolutely. There. And this that is why I think that this is a film that is begging. It one it really is. It is Begging to be reimagined as a film, as a series. I was about to say, because you could do a television series. Yeah. You know, just, just. Oh, don't you could do a started. television series. You don't even have to get him into the city. It could just be him versus Dracula. I was that, that just whole about story. to say, that scene, there is a scene at the beginning the of Dracula. Opening the movie, yes. Where he is sitting, having basically... This war council. Right. When he's when he's Mama Walde. When he's just Prince Mama Walde or, or, or you know, and and he is trying to gather allies mm-hmm. to deal with this transatlantic slave trade. And he miscalculates that Dracula could be an ally. Right. And I believe he doesn't know that Dracula is a no, vampire. No, he doesn't. He's just going to other royalty. Mm-hmm. And it is a great conversation and then you realize that dracula is racist (laughs) and then it kind of go but it's it really like like you i could have i could have a television series where half of it could be in current times or you know go hard make it a period piece yes yes half of it could be set in the 70s -hmm. and half of it could be set in the 1700s -hmm. i'd watch that I'd watch it all day. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's 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 the one right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one right there. So all right. Well, that is our top five, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um I see that in the chat, Robert Monroe Jr. has mentioned that Rodney Barnes has mentioned that mm-hmm. Blackula is going to appear oh. in his other series, oh. Philadelphia. Oh, oh, oh. Like Spawn's gonna show up in the set. Like it's it's about to be bananas. Did you say Spawn? Spawn, yes. Spawn is going to show yeah, up in Philadelphia. Look, if you are not, look, if you are a comic reader and you are not reading Philadelphia, you should absolutely be reading Philadelphia. Especially if you like horror comics. Right, horror comics, yes. Isn't it a scary book? It is actually scary. So I won't be reading. 
Yeah. Really? Yeah. I a horror con see, because I think it's primarily because I do most of my comic reading mm-hmm. before I go to bed. Got you. So horror comics? No, no, no. I, I, I my dreams don't need that fuel. Look, I have a I, I when I get my con it's it's so funny we're saying this. I actually have two piles. Like, I actually have my daytime pile. <laughs> See? Exactly. I actually have a daytime pile. And Philadelphia is very much, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to read this while I'm eating lunch <laughs> midday. Out in the sun. <laughs> yeah, because it is very atmospheric mm-hmm. and, and very disturbing. Like, it's actually a horror comic. But I love it. Yeah. I feel like we're one, two degrees at most from Rodney Barnes. Yeah. Like, like please yeah. missionaries that know uh, Mr. Barnes, give him a shout out. Like, like he's got a couple of fans. So there you go. There you go. All right. Top five. Top five. All right. All right. You know what you've been waiting for. <laughs> it is time for the game of Kings. The game of Kings. Dylan. Play that beautiful theme music, will you please? Six Degrees of Derville Martin, ladies and gentlemen, where... I give Vincent two actors and he has six films to connect them to the blackened black man of all time. Yes. One Derville Martin. There is no blackening of Derville Martin. (laughs) Nothing. Original black. Original black. I think he turned blackula. That's right. Vincent. Yes. Keeping in theme. All right. These mm-hmm. are white actors. White actors with black names. White actors with <laughs> black names. I like this already. Let's see how black these names are. All right. White actors who have gone through the blackening <laughs> that they probably should um apply for jobs in person. <laughs> Starting with number one. Right. Who is this white actor? Whose resume has gotten thrown out every time they mail in a resume? This would be one Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Wait, Toby Jones. Who the hell is Toby Jones? Because I thought you said Toby McGuire. I was like, no, Toby Jones. Who is Toby Jones? Uh, he has played. He played. Um, He's been in quite a few movies, Vincent. Um, let me bring up his picture. His picture. You see his picture there on the screen? I can't quite see it. Uh, let's see if I can bring up his. There's a, a closer up picture of him. It's the same picture, though. He's been in quite a few films, and I'm Toby Jones. I think it's safe to say you've seen a few of his movies. As I'm looking in his, uh, more than a few, I would believe. Pull that back some, Dylan, because now it just looks weird. All right. 
Toby Jones. Mm-hmm. It's like a guy who's always around. He's like a little scientist. Yeah, you're on the right track. He's like a little. You're on the right track. Scientist guy. Mm-hmm. 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 So I'm Toby Jones. Oh, wait. Wasn't he in Captain America? I believe he was. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Mar- Marvel Sludge. Marvel Sludge. Um, Derville Martin is is in Five on the Black Hand Side with Dick Anthony Williams. Dick Anthony Williams is in Mo Better Blues with uh with Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson is in Captain America: The First Avenger with Toby Jones. Oh, that's right. He shows up at the end. Yeah, he shows up at the end. Okay, yes, you're yeah. you're right. You're right. Now, do you remember who he plays in Captain America? Doesn't he play um Modok? Well, the, the guy who turns into Modok, right? Zola, yeah. Arnim Zola. Yeah, Arn. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What else was he in that I would have recognized? Okay. Um, did you see Atomic Blonde? You know what? I didn't. Great action movie. Okay. Um, did you see any of the? I think he was in. I just want to. He was in the Hunger Games, and I saw the Hunger Games. But he was I in just, catch, He was in Catching Fire. He was also. Well, well, yeah, he, I think he was in all three of them. He was in, um, most recently, he was in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Which I still haven't seen. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, he, he's, okay. Right. He's done a fair amount of work. Okay. All right. There you go, Toby Jones. He's in Jurassic yeah. World. Yeah. He looked like a dude who would be in Jurassic Park telling that old man, this is a bad idea. Poppycock, we can bring them back. It'll be wonderful. Invite the kids. I took, um, Camille was probably 10. I forget how old she was when that first of the, the second wave of Jurassic Park movies came mm-hmm. up. And I remember the part where the lady falls out of, like the, falls, she's on the, um, on, on the monorail or whatever, she falls out and, and, and the, the, the dinosaur jumps out the water oh, yes. and, and eats her. And Camille looked at him and said, is, is she going to be all right? Is she going to be okay? And I said, no, sweetie, I don't think she is. <laughs> I was looking for the movie where Toby um, played one of his more famous roles. Uh, he was in the movie in 2006, Infamous, where he played Truman Capote. Oh, he sure did. Because he looks like him. Exactly. All right. Toby Jones is a pretty black name. That is a name. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) Toby Jones. The black name, right? Right, right. Right. Although it actually isn't a black name because it's not a black person on earth who has named their child Toby since um, Roots. So there's that. All right. Who else we got a black name? Black name number two. Black name number two. We're going to stay in the world of the Joneses. Stay in the Joneses. Jones is a pretty black name. January Jones. January Jones. Well, January Jones was in um, X-Men the First Class. That's correct. Wasn't she? That's correct. And who, the, who, the other person that was in X-Men... 
First Class. Is Kevin Bacon actually in X Men First Class? Actually, so we can actually use Kevin Bacon. Bacon. Okay, so this is how we'll get. We could connect Derville Martin to Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Bacon because Derville Martin. And I think I messed this up before because there's there's actually a two step that I miss because a Derville Martin is in um. I believe Sheba Baby with yes. Pam Greer. And Pam Greer is in Hitman with Bernie Casey. Okay. Like I said before that Derville Martin's in, in but it's really Pam Greer. Uh, so Pam Greer is in um, Hitman. Um, yeah, Hitman with Bernie Casey. Okay. You, you're unsure, so I'm going to look that up. Just right. Just to say safe side. But go ahead. Making your is that the name of it? Hitman? I think it's called Hitman. It's Bernie Casey and um, Pam Greer. Bernie Casey. Hitman. That is Bernie Casey in Hitman. And I know Pam Greer's in there. And with Pam Greer. Right. And then Bernie Casey is in Cornbread Earl and Me with Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne is in Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon. Who is in X-Men the first class with January Jones? Well, very good. Yeah, boy. Quicksilver. I pulling out Quicksilver. I pull out Quicksilver. Okay. All right. Kevin Bacon was a stockbroker and then he quit or got fired. I forget what happened, but then he became a bike messenger. Yeah. (laughs) Because 1982. This was an actual movie pitch. Yeah. That got turned into an actual movie. Yeah. I can't believe it. Bike messengers in New York. Can't believe it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of basically, I think I saw that movie. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. It's just a ridiculous concept. It, it's a very ridiculous yeah. concept. But, uh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Well, mm-hmm. well done, Vincent. Mm-hmm. All right. Now. Now. It is time for us to get into our movie review. We're going to blacken it up. We're going to get it to get real dark. We're going to get Cajun. As we get into our review of 2022's The Blackening. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. character is always the first to die. I will spare your lives if you sacrifice the person you deem the blackest. Guys, I can prove I'm not the blackest. Prove it! I thought black Twitter was a type of seasoning. I like Jimmy Fallon without the roots. Eh, wrong. I voted for Trump. What? What? Twice. Your time is up. It's time to die. (laughs) 
Karkaps. <laughs> Get down. I'll be right back. Blackening from 2022, a horror comedy directed by Tim Story, based on a story and script by Tim Story, Tracy Oliver, and I just missed uh, Dwight D- 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 Perkins. Dwight Perkins. Seven friends go away for the weekend only to find themselves trapped in a cabin with a killer who has a vendetta. They must spit their street smarts and knowledge of horror movies and blackness against the murderer to stay alive. Grace Byers, Antoinette Robertson, Melvin Craig, Dwayne Perkins, Sinai Walls, Jermaine Fowler. With appearances by Yvonne Orgy and Jay Farrow, this was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn, what do you have to say about the blackening? Well, first, let me correct it. It actually was, the name was Dwayne Perkins, who also was a a star in the the film. And this was the film that was derived originally from a sketch of the same name Mm -hmm. that Dwayne Perkins Write a short film, right? Like short four film. minutes, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the, like I think on uh, um, a funny or die, it was, yeah. It was mm-hmm. on, and like you know, now they blew it up into a full script and a full film. Um, this was actually watching this for tonight's show. This is my third time seeing this film. Okay, I saw this film originally when it was upon its release. I went to a press screening. And I went to a press screen and I went our friend of the show, Ariel um, Johnson, w- went with me to see The Blackening because this was a film that based on its trailer, you wanted to see. Yes. It looked like it was going to be smart. It's going to be it's going to be uh, uh, insightful, funny, maybe even a little scary because mm-hmm. you got that it was going to be a horror comedy. But it looked like, you know, even the, some of the best horror comedies can still, you know, get you. If they're, if they're played right. And this movie looked like it was going to have all of that, right? And I went to see this film with with Ariel, and me and her came out with, like, very mixed reviews of the film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we weren't doing it for the show, so we kind of kept it to ourselves. But we, both of us were like, you know, okay, I thought it was going to be a little sharper. Sure. Then, about a couple of weeks later, I'm over my sister's house and I have, I have like a, a group of about five or six young nieces mm-hmm. in my family. And they were there watching television and the commercial came on and one of them started talking about, Oh yeah, I want to see that. You know, I really want to say it looks funny. It looks stupid. And I said, Hey, I'll take y'all to the movies. Okay. So I took them when the black and came out, I took all of my nieces and my, and my sisters. Um, we all went to see the black and it was my treat. 
And th- now the movie is out in theater, so it's not I'm not watching it with press. I'm watching it with a crowd of people. Sure, a filled a filled movie theater. And in that setting, and listening to everyone, seeming like they genuinely enjoyed themselves. Sure, sure. I got lost in it. I was like, okay, okay, all right. Fun movie, right? And how did your nieces feel about it? They liked it. And how old are your nieces? Um, they range in ages from fourteen down to eleven. Okay, all right, right. So, um, so it's perfect for them, mm-hmm. right? And they mm-hmm. liked it. And my and my two my two sisters they went to they liked it. So you know, hey, they, they enjoyed it. Sure, sure. Great, great time at the movies. And then I had to watch it tonight, right? For the for the show, because now it's business. Now it's business. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the first time that I'm sitting there and I'm watching the movie by, by myself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the mixed feelings that I had the first time that I watched the film, I'm starting to feel them again. Mm-hmm. And as I'm feeling them again, I remember specifically that my nieces enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. They did, but we went out to the um, we went out to eat like w- right after the movie, and it was like in a, I think like a if I remember it's like a either a Fridays or a Fridays type place that was right in the same complex, mm-hmm. right? So there were some people from from the movie theater were there as well, and what I remembered was that as much as they seemed to enjoy the movie. When we were in the eating, nobody was talking about the movie. Okay. They weren't making any reference to the movie. Mm-hmm. So, and as I was kind of like not doing any hardcore ear hustling, but I didn't hear buzz around me about from people who I knew had just come from the same theater as I did. Sure. And that is what I think was the letdown of The Blackening. If you watch the trailer for The Blackening, you are in on this movie. It feels like this is going to be a movie that is, that is made by us, for us, that is speaking our language, that is embracing the, the Black experience, um, has some commentary that it wants to share with you about the Black experience in the horror sphere. Um has some inside jokes that, you know, only you and your best friends are going to get. Uh, And to be fair, there is a lot of that in this movie. Mm -hmm. But you also have the feel from the trailer that you're going to be watching a, either an uproariously, ridiculously funny movie. Right. Or a movie that is going to be funny, but it's also going to unnerve you a little bit because it is a horror film. Yes. And this movie, it's has some chuckles in it because mm-hmm. it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. But there's absolutely no fear in right. this movie whatsoever, despite some of the trappings. And I think the problem lies with the director. Okay. 
before I get to the director, this was a movie that was made with a $17 million, um, no, I think like a $5 million budget and it made like $17 million. Mm-hmm. It made like, it made like three times its budget. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so it made money. Absolutely. You know, it made its money back. Plus the, the, the cast that you, you spoke of, they're fine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a fine group of young actors that are having some fun. I don't think they're given a script that is giving them a whole lot to work with outside of just building basic boilerplate, you know, horror trope characters. Mm-hmm. But they're having fun with it. And there's a slightly, you know, more um, African-American bent to some of their to some of the tropeness that you ha- you see on scene but they're fine they get along pretty well they're nice they're nice looking um cast Dwayne Perkins as the writer of the original script and as one of the stars of the film is is probably the standout of the actors mm. because his char- his character it's probably a little bit more heightened a little bit more sure. you know showy um but his character, I think, has is the one that has the semblance of an arc mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, so they're fine. But Tim Story, who is the director of this film, mm-hmm. who is on is on the record uh, uh, of saying that, you know, after doing his movie, he has a better, a higher appreciation for horror movie directors sure and the task in front of them Mm -hmm. he is the person that lets down this movie tim's story let's be fair is a fine director he's a professional director absolutely but he is not he's certainly not an auteur by any no any stretch of imagination um nor is he a man i think that has brings any type of real creativity to his directorial pursuits, whether it be the Fantastic Four movies that he directed. Well, let's let's be fair. In the genre films that he's done. I mean, even, what did he do? Barbershop? Yeah, but Barbershop. Which Barbershop it, film did he do? Yeah. I think he did like the first one. But like, but, but he, no, I don't no, think no, he did. No, the, I think it was, yeah, I think he didn't it do wasn't the first one. It wasn't the first one. Yeah. I think it may have been like either the second, the right, second right, or the third but, one. Right, right. Because, because you can see the, right. the, the difference. And like you said, you can hand him a franchise and he isn't going to destroy he it. He ain't going to destroy it. But at the same time. He ain't going to do anything yeah. really with yeah, it. Yeah, like right? you said, but competent a, director. Competent director. Mm-hmm. But especially in genre pieces, mm-hmm. such as the Fantastic Four movies that he did, such as this, even though it's a comedy, still horror comedy. Mm-hmm. These are films that really ask for you to have some type of like style or technique mm-hmm. to 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 craft this specific you know type of story yeah. storytelling and i'm watching this film and all of these medium shots all of the uh, all of it, it's basically like two shots uh, like medium shots there's no real Sometimes there's close-ups for absolutely no reason, so you're missing action that's happening on the screen. Sometimes people are coming uh, onto the into the scene from like 
the opposite side of where they should be coming from. There's no real establishment of place here. Uh, the storytelling is very, very sloppy. And I think that he is the person that lets down this film and is the reason why the buzz that was generated off of the trailer does did not translate onto the screen with the feature film and why this film wasn't, I mean, it, it made its money back. It kind of fizzled out. But it fizzled out. It yeah. quickly fizzled out. Yeah. It quickly left the theaters. And it's a shame to everyone that was in this film because they're all doing all doing great work, especially a, a shout out to Wayne Perkins. Um, I think Grace Byers uh, uh, as the the mixed um, uh, race young young girl. I think her name is Allison. She's a, she she's very good in the in the in the film. Um, and everyone else is everyone else is fine. I just think I just think that the lack of any type of technique in the storytelling lets down, which is basically like the story. The story is boilerplate. You've seen the story in in every one of the horror movies. It's just got like a little bit of a a black bent to it. And some of the jokes are kind of are kind of cool, but like. They're still very surface level, right? And there's and and there's no real digging in there. Like there's a, a great scene where one of the guys sits down, like because all of these kids they get together for uh, Juneteenth, celebrating Juneteenth in a cabin in the woods. I don't know why, but that's what they choose to do. Because mm-hmm. um, it's the 10 year anniversary of some great party that they had in college, so they're getting together for the first time in 10 years. Sounds kind of cool. Okay, that's your basic premise. Mm-hmm. Basic premise of every, every horror movie. It's got, and they get together, and the one guy, kind of like really nerdy guy, he's they're sitting down to play spades, and he sits down. And he's like, "Hey, I want to play spades." He said, "But I don't really don't remember how to play, and I didn't play it that often. But mm-hmm. I don't really remember how to play. If y'all want to show me, like catch me up, I'll y'all play it." Sure. And everyone knows when there is a, a a huge spades game, and this is a guy versus girl spades game, there's no time to be teaching some new person how to play spades. Sure. As a person that doesn't play spades, I have been God smacked with this rule time and time again. Yeah. So I know that rule, right? And sure enough, this guy, it, he's smacked with this rule. Like, dude, we can't, we can't teach you. Right. We can't teach you. That is definitely some inside baseball type of black thing sure. that is happening there. Sure, But that is also meat that is on the bone waiting to be picked just a little bit more. Right. And it does nothing with it. It yeah. just leaves it on the bone. And I think that this movie does that time and time again uh, in throughout the, the film until it basically devolves into you know, after a point devolves into just like your basic, like, you know, horror comedy, like, you know, like, oh, kill him, whack him on the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's certain beats that it has to get out of the way. And a lot of it's the cleverness of it is just gone. Um, and I, and I really think it's a shame. I really, at the end of the day, think the blackening is just a, a missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I think this is a film 
that commits the cardinal sin that we've talked, we've actually been talking about a couple of times over the past couple of weeks, commits a cardinal sin no less than four times throughout, you know, very early in the film. First, there there's a sort of beginning sequence with Jay Farrow and Yvonne Orji. Yes. And I think, frankly, anything with a group of black millennials, you know, the you know, just sort of doing the math, it seems like they're in their early 30s. Mm-hmm. You can't have Yvonne Orji in there because Yvonne Orji was one of the faces of insecure. Mm-hmm. So you can't, as we always say, reference something that was better than what you're doing right here. <laughs> and and Issa Rae and the writers and creators on Insecure, the writing was so sharp mm-hmm. that to hear words come out of Yvonne Orji's mouth that aren't as sharp as what you're used to hearing from her is already yeah. kind of puts you, you know, kind of throws you off a little bit. The whole kind of wink, wink, meta-commentary of Jay Farrow, Yvonne Orji. There's actually a, a joke upon a joke where they say, you know, they reference um, Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Jr. in Scream 2, and they talk about them getting killed early because the film couldn't afford to keep them in the whole film. And then they they have this very elongated beat mm-hmm. where you realize they're referencing Jay Farrow and Yvonne Orji. Right. Obviously, this film couldn't afford to have in. But now you've referenced Scream directly. Yep. yep. Which is another film that put a pin in that does what this film is doing much better. Mm-hmm. Then, and this is all in the first three minutes. They referenced the people under the stairs. Yep. Which is a film that does social commentary, racialized social commentary, which for all of it being a horror movie is really more in the spirit of something like Scream, Mm -hmm. where it's almost a horror movie with these touches of comedy. Again, better than what we're getting here on the screen. And then the fourth strike, because in this game of baseball, you get four strikes. There's a moment when the entire cast is now here. And one of the cast members, one of the characters is married to a white woman. Yes. And they make this joke about how he's changed his ways. And, you know, now he eats granola and hikes, you know, all of the stereotypical stuff. And then the uh, his boy says to him, oh, you're actually in the sunken place. It's like, come on. We really don't want us to start thinking about Get Out. Yes. <laughs> but although Get Out isn't a film that has a lot of funny bits to it, even though, you know, Laurel, I think Jordan Peele and sort of his early training, which you have to assume he had a lot to do with it, with some aspect of the skits mm-hmm. on Key and Peele. And I mentioned last week, I am... I am always impressed with how well the Halloween episodes of Key and Peele age, mm-hmm. where they're both funny and scary at the same time. So whether you're talking about those skits, whether you're talking about something like certainly the first screen mm-hmm. and what Kevin Williamson does with Scream, whether you're talking about what um, 
How did I? Wes Craven. Okay. Yep. Does with the people under the stairs. This balance of horror and comedy is really difficult. Very. Like really difficult to do. And much like you, I didn't think Tim's story was up to task with it. Having said that, as much as the script let me, I mean, as much as the direction let me down, I thought the script really was something that you could tell they built up after the fact. Yeah. Because of the buzz that the four minute short film mm-hmm. got. Mm-hmm. And if you rewatched the four minute short film, which I did earlier this afternoon, it still pops mm-hmm. like it still moves. It's got great energy and that sort of density of jokes that you're talking about. You get it in those four minutes and it works. And frankly, a lot of the good jokes in this movie are pulled directly mm-hmm. from the short film. So that the film, the the, the script and the direction wasn't isn't enough to really pull you in much like you i like the cast you know i think it's a solid cast um you you mentioned um you you mentioned a couple of people i'm i'm actually really fond of antoinette robertson right who, who was on um the film version i mean the television series dear white people yes i love jermaine fowler like I actually am a fan of his since um sorry to bother you. Mm-hmm. And you know, frankly, the twist that you know is coming, I knew immediately. Yeah. Because there's no way you bring in Tremaine Fowler to have him over on the side. Like, like you immediately know what his deal is. And even though the character that he creates is is frankly a big swing. Like, this is a big swing, this kind of character he's put together. I kind of, like, for me, he kind of pulls it off. Uh, Like, by the end, like, like for me, I really was kind of going back and forth with this thing. Like, eh, it's all right. But then you get this great monologue by him at the end, where, for me, he kind of pulls the thing barely over the finish line. Yeah, yeah. Because of him. Having said that, I thought sharp was a good word because I think there is something here that if it was sharpened, it could have hit a little harder yeah. with the social commentary. As you said, um, there there is this, this plot point, which turns out to be a, a major plot point about this character that Jermaine Fowler plays, Clifton, mm-hmm. not being that good at spades. Mm-hmm. And when you couple that with... Um, the sort of comedic conceit of the whole movie that, you know, they're questioning each other and peppering each other about their blackness. Mm-hmm. And this, this sentiment that blackness is a series of, of, of sort of knowledge points. And, you know, like, you know, how many, how many years was dark skin, dark on Viv on right. the Fresh Prince right. and, 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 you know, what, what is the second lyric of, of the, the black of lift every that voice, voice and sing. sing, which, you know, which you, these are great questions very because question. they very are much questions like, Oh yeah. 
Well, how many years was dark? Like the fact that you know dark skin Aunt Viv and light Aunt Viv, and everybody knows who that is, mm-hmm. but you don't say like like Daphne Reed and and Janet Hubert. No. It's like, oh, it's dark skin Aunt Viv and light skin Aunt, Aunt Viv. And the fact that, as you said, it really has become this um this detail in black pop culture about spades. But the thing that differentiates spades from other things that you'd say, oh, well, you should know that because you're black. Everything else that you can name, you can learn that on your own. Exactly. Like you don't know the words, the second verse of the black national anthem. You don't, you know, you, you, you know, you don't know when, when dark skin aren't Viv was on the fresh Prince. You don't know that you can kind of study it up. Yeah. But spades is communal. Yep. Like you have to play it with a group. So and, and it really is this kind of window where you gotta learn it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't learn it inside that window, it really is so that this sort of subtext, because it hasn't been sharpened enough to be text of what it means to be in a community. Mm-hmm never really gets to where it is. So, so, so again, back to this, this great monologue at the end, like Jermaine Fowler and, and his, you know, spoiler, I guess his, his, his reasoning for doing what he does. Mm -hmm. It made perfect sense. Like you could see, you know, it upset me when I was young, things kind of spiral out of control, but this, it's just not there throughout the film. No, it's not. And I think also what lets this movie down is like the the tagline is like, you know, you know, we can't all die first. Right. Yeah, but this is a horror movie. One y'all gotta die. Like, like outside of Yvonne Orji and Jay Farrow in the beginning of the film, right. who are basically, you know, we know that they're, they're bait. Like right. we know they're we know they're going to die. Right. Right. Their contract says you can only be on screen the X amount of time. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. But after that, the the unspoken contract in a horror movie is that other people are going to die. Right. It would seem that way. And it you and it usually is people that you are kind of one or two of them, usually people that you're rooting for. Right. No one else dies in this movie that we're rooting for. Right. And it's like, so because of that, by the time you get to the end, there are no stakes. You don't believe. There are no stakes. You don't believe anything is going to happen. So you're basically just sitting there like, okay, can we be done now? And again, any sort of commentary isn't sharpened to the point where it has an edge. Like there's this great sort of, 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 of duplicating of that wonderful moment at the end of get out where you think the police show up and how there was this amazing commentary on, on that, that, that trope in horror movies where mm-hmm. now you've returned to normalcy because the police have shown mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. But when you're black, there's a, a whole different thing. Like you're talking about crowds. One of the greatest communal experiences of my life has been in a theater and how the crowd racially responded yep. to those flashing yep. lights yep. at the end of Get Out. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I said, this, 
this is actually genius mm-hmm. because you could hear the white people sigh with relief and you could hear the black people go, oh shit, it's the police. Yep. And yep. it's a dead white woman 10 feet away from him. And there's a difference in a director, a storyteller who is working with intentionality and in how he's putting together his movie. Right. That that scene allows the space for all exactly. of that to happen. Because he understands how this is going to hit different Exactly. Art. Whereas with this, they kind of make this throwaway joke mm-hmm. and it just sort of fizzles. Yep. Like, like it doesn't, they don't really do anything with it. So the whole time I'm watching this, because the the question when they, they oh, eventually like they play this game, the blackening, they find this game, the blackening in the movie. And they have to play this game. Otherwise, one of them going to die or all of them sure, are going to die. Sure. And they've got to answer these questions. Sure. And to get to the question about the second verse of the Black National Anthem. Yes. Which, to be fair, the, the commentary is right there in the movie. A lot of people don't know. No. Most people don't. No. We all know the first verse. And even then, like one of the actors says, we kind of mouthing the words. Right, right, right. But with that question... I would have absolutely loved if this movie had had the bravery, and it would have been had to be brave to do this instead of everything else and see because how tension filled would it have been? Yeah, with questions that a lot of the audience would have been like, "Shit, I don't absolutely, I don't, I don't know." Yeah, like because because then they they asked the one the next question, uh, one of the questions that they see him. Ask is about Nas. Yeah. And, and right. It, right, gonna, the, right. The math from get, one mic. Yeah. <laughs> you got to break down the yeah. math. Yeah. And like, I could, I would have loved to hear people like, oh, 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 oh. Like, it, because that would have been real tension. Yeah. That would have been real freaking tension. Yeah. Like, right there, it would have been a communal experience. Right. Uh, and, and that's what this movie, that's what this movie is, is begging you. If, like the audience or at least me I'll just speak for me I'm begging for this movie to to welcoming it into be a part of this world and never does it really let me in yeah yeah I, I think you, you know again there's a film that is neither fish nor fowl like it couldn't decide what it wanted and, and going the direction that you wanted to do which is kind of fascinating because the, you know the film was sued yeah. Unsuccessful, um, yeah, by, by a couple of different, including you. You know, there was a card game, black card, re- black card revoked, revoked, which basically the the version that you're talking about would be a dramatization mm-hmm. of people playing it. Which mm-hmm. you know, again, I think this is, I think this is a really fertile source of story and commentary, especially as blackness becomes more and more fractured, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, what is it that makes you black? Like, what are the, what are the metrics of being black? You know, how do we talk about gatekeeping this, that, and the other, but there's like, you've got to have, as you said, intentionality. You've got to have some sharp writers who have a clear path of what they're trying to discuss and talk about. And I don't know 
if there was that. Well, I I know I don't know if if there was that level of an, of attention to that that part of it, mm. or the other version of this film, the, you get rid of the game, and it's just almost a straight horror film, but you have seven black people. Yeah, and how do seven black people react? Deal with it? like there's this great moment where 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 um. Where, where my girl Antoinette Robinson kind of has this candlestick and she, you know, is beating the dude's head and she says, why do black women have to save everybody? <laughs> and I said, well, there's a version of this movie. Yep. You know, there's a version of this of black people kind of figuring it out, improvising and problem solving and, you know. Yeah. But you, it, it's like you never get either either one. I will say this about the air about them being out in the woods. I like how they handled it. That was it was an Airbnb because it is hilarious to me personally. People go anywhere as long as it's an Airbnb. <laughs> it's like having in the woods. Yeah, but it's an Airbnb. So, yeah, we were sure. But I did just book an Airbnb for uh, April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. It's like a haunted house in the middle of a cemetery. It's not in the middle of the cemetery, <laughs> but it's it's a house. Right, right. But because you saw it on your phone, <laughs> you said, oh, yeah, let's go. It's nice. It's got a movie projector let's screen. Go ahead, let's go ahead and book Here's it. Here's a guy. We're going to go watch WrestleMania. Yeah, go ahead and book it. Uh-huh. I know. It. I know. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, you know. But the real question, of course, would you recommend the blackening? See, here's the thing. See, see, this is a tricky part. Because it's our whole deal. I know. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I would land on recommending the blackening mm-hmm. with this one proviso. Uh-oh, it's a proviso. <laughs> that you watch this with a crowd. Okay. I think it's a film okay. that a crowd will enjoy enough, have fun mm-hmm. with it, get through and, and get through it and say, okay, that was cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think that this is a film that you just, oh, let me sit there and on my own or you know, like it, this is not Netflix and chill. Right. Film. Right. This is this is this is game night. Or or dinner sure. party just like on and everybody's catching like a funny reference here and there. Right. Type of thing. So I I would recommend it. This is good for the cookout. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think this is very much a film that plays better with the crowd. Like you, I liked at the very least, everyone in the cast. Mm-hmm. And there are several cast members that I really, really enjoy their work. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a film with a lot of shortcomings, but the shortcomings are based on unfulfilled potential. Right. So that I will also say that I am glad that it made three times as much money as it cost to make it, because that means that financially there is a chance that there could be a blackening too. Mm. And what I'm hoping is that now that they have sort of a first draft, 
now that, you know, maybe they get a little time to, to work on something like there's something here. Yeah, but I hope fair. But you can't bring back Tim's story. You've got to get a, you've got to, somebody's got to. I, I think it needs, I, again, I think this is in, 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 and I don't think you are. I don't think this is any disrespect to Tim's story. I think this is a really hard kind of movie to make. Like, I really do think it's only a handful of directors that can make a comedy horror film. Well, I'm not going to say that because I, I think, I think a smart director can pull it off. I would actually love mm. to see, I'd, I'd love to see, I mean, it's easy to pull up Jordan Peele or, of or Nia DaCosta. Um, I don't know if I want to see Nia DaCosta. No, but, I'm, but I'm just saying it's easy yeah. to pull names like that. I actually would love to see this in the hands of Lena Waif. Lena Waif might be a good pull. I, I would like to see Lena Waif. Lena Waif the, might a, a, a be. Sharp, I think she would help pull some writers to tighten up that mm-hmm. script a little bit more. Oh, well, it goes without saying the script would, would be tighter. Mm-hmm. Like, like I go, that goes without saying, like, hopefully, you, you know, I mean, frankly, I, I feel like, I, I, like the entire writing staff of Insecure, like I know some of them have gone on, but you know, hopefully Yvonne Orgy could shoot up the Insecure signal. Get that writing staff. Yeah, because I think she may have gotten like a small producer credit. I was about to say, I think she had a producer credit. So yeah, that, yeah. So, all right. So there you go. The blackening. The blackening. The blackening. Both of us are recommending it. Yes, we are. Ladies with and a gentlemen. crowd, if you can. Yes, with a crowd. So mm-hmm. all you missionaries get together. Yeah, and y'all can watch the blackening. Yeah, together. All right. Um, we got some news about upcoming events here on the Michelle Mission. But before we get to that, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you to hit us up with your feedback. Email us at the Michelle Mission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. Let Vincent and I know what is on your mind. You can also follow us on your favorite social media, whether it be Instagram, the social media formerly known as Twitter or Facebook. At Me Show Mission, where you can also join the Facebook group and chat with all of the missionaries as we talk talk and banty about about movies, up and coming movie history, TV. They have a a whole great time and in, in our Facebook group. Please also like and subscribe to the Me Show Mission on your favorite podcast catcher, whether or not it be Apple. Spotify, Pandora. If you get a podcast, look up the Michelle Mission. We're right there. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission, including YouTube, where you're watching us live right now. Hit the subscribe button and hit the bell so you can be notified when we have new videos going up, when our lives are scheduled, and when our short shorties go up. Because people really like the shorties. They blow up. Oh, yeah. Really it's fast. like a little bonbon. It's a little... Mm-hmm. If you like what you see here 
on the beautiful Michelle Mission set here at Young Chunk. You can book your own time in one of their fabulous studios. Go to thevideocontentfactory.com and book time in one of the studios here at Young Junk in Maniunk in Philadelphia. And the Michelle Mission is also a proud member of The Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. All right. Next week is, will be October 31st on next Tuesday. Yes. Which will actually be the day of Halloween. Yes. So Vincent and I will not be here. We will not. We will not. We will be out trigger treating. I will be going, uh, Vincent will be taking out his young, young son and I will be going and searching for all the three musketeers I can eat. By yourself? Yes. Just me, a man in his bag. You should probably be easy with that. What? Trick or treat. <laughs> but but if they don't have three musketeers, I'm just go to the next house. Y'all got three musketeers. You got three musketeers. Thank you. Just go to the next house. Just go to the next house. That's only with three musketeers. All right. You be easy out there with an empty pillowcase. Going from door to door. No, <laughs> as it was recently pointed out to me, I may have a hundred and fifty of like the new like like shopping bags that you get at supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Because every time I go to the supermarket, I never have my bags with me, so I buy two more. Sure, sure, sure. I've got about a hundred and fifty of them up on top of my cabinet. Just gonna be walking out holding several bags. Yes. Y'all guy and three musketeers in here. Musketeers. Okay. That's it. That's it. I'm, I'm a specific type of treater. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look. So we're not going to be here next we're week. We're not going to be. Hopefully, both of us will be here the week after next. <laughs> but we will be returning in November. Yes, sir. And when we come back in November, oh boy, do we have fun for you, ladies and gentlemen. Oh boy. Because all month long in November, we are going to be celebrating adaptations and reimaginings of the work of William Shakespeare. Oh, this is going to be so fun. Under the banner that we call the Bards of November. Yes, sir. Can't wait. And we will kick things off in grand style from 1995. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne mm-hmm. and Kenneth Brogner mm-hmm. in William Shakespeare's mm-hmm. Othello. Othello, that's right. Right here on the Michelle Mission. That'll be Tuesday, November 7th. November 7th, ladies and gentlemen. That's when we'll be back here live from Young Chunk. All right? Until then, he's Vincent. I'm Len. Parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. Thank you, Nakia. The Michelle Mission is produced by Len Webb and Vincent Williams and edited by Len Webb with co-production by Mo Poplar, music by Alexa Gold, and filmed at the Video Content Factory. The Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network.